Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Jackie Schaefer. Jackie Schaefer is joining us today for this new episode of Cassie and Jackie. Thank you so much for joining us here today. We met each other as so many of my guests on LinkedIn because you're in legal tech. I'm in legal tech. You're an attorney who loves tech. I'm an attorney who loves tech. I would love for you to give the audience a brief introduction about who you are and your background. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I think that starting a podcast on AI at this moment in time is just invaluable. (laughs) We all need to be keeping up with what's happening. So I'm a career litigator. I started out at Paul Weiss, and I spent most of my career actually in government as an assistant attorney general in Alaska and Washington State. I did mostly appellate work complex litigation. And then I was in-house counsel for several years. And it was around 2020 when I actually founded ClearBrief. So I was learning more about AI, data science. I think living in Seattle, it's kind of like inevitable that (laughs) there's so many technologists here. And I was surprising myself with how much I was, you know, excited by it and interested in it. I've never been someone who's like, I just love math. (laughs) Most of us lawyers probably don't feel that way. But there was just something that I felt was interesting as I was actually advising clients. I can remember this was sort of the first spark where I was advising the data science team at a national nonprofit here in Seattle. I was in-house counsel. And I was learning about the data sets that inform child welfare policy across the country. And I remember saying, oh, I want to actually look at the data set. And they were like, you don't need to do that. Just give us the legal advice. I was like, "Mm, I want to look at it, actually, (laughs) because I think it will help my legal advice. And that was sort of my first step to owning this idea that data and technology can really have a meaningful difference on in how we practice law. So I ended up taking that leap and joining the startup world. I spent a few months sort of learning about just trying different startup ideas and kind of learning the space. And then, yeah, it was around April 2020 that I actually founded the, formed the corporation and I had been gathering feedback about my ideas around how AI could change legal writing. So fast forward to today, we have raised millions in venture capital, and we are now used by hundreds and, and of paying legal organization customers across the country and now across the world, which is so exciting to me. We're used by the, the largest global law firms to the smallest firms to government agencies and courts and in-house counsel at some of the largest global corporations. So it has been quite a journey (laughs) in a very short time period. And I'm super excited to share any background I can with you. Yeah, I would love for you to just give a bit quick elevator pitch of what exactly your legal tech company is providing. Yeah, so ClearBrief, what it does is it's in Microsoft Word. And it's a tool that helps lawyers, paralegals, judges find the evidence and view it, analyze it while writing and through all the way to the end of that process and share it with 
visibility into the evidence cited. So that was kind of a, a simple idea that, hey, we're constantly talking about the evidence. We're having to figure out and organize the evidence. Could Can we keep it visible to everyone who's involved in that writing process? To, can we keep it visible to the client who has to approve it? And to ultimately the judge who's making their decision, make it so simple for them <laughs> to view what we're citing. And to me, that's how we achieve the goal of the legal process, which is to figure out what the truth is. Let's keep the evidence visible. So to do that, though, because as you know, the number one challenge we have as lawyers with this whole AI wave is security, confidentiality. All of the documents that we're referencing are, most of them are restricted and, you know, confidential and stored maybe in 20 different places. So bringing it all into Microsoft Word, which is the place where you're doing the writing and actually where most of us really do our thinking, honestly, as lawyers. Like what I talk to so many lawyers across the country because I'm, yes, I'm the CEO, but I'm the product leader. And as the product leader, I'm constantly interviewing everyone, <laughs> trying to understand how they work, how they use ClearBrief. And a lot of us really just, even when we first get a case, we're taking our notes in Word. As we're responding to discovery requests, we're taking our notes in Word. As we're organizing and writing an email, we're, we're all doing it in Word. So that was really our vision to, you know, bring that, make this seamless, bring the AI into Word. And so I think it is really pretty cool to see that that was when I started the company in 2020. And now we have Microsoft. <laughs> they also are recognizing bringing Copilot right into Word. This is something that can really enhance workflows. But luckily, we've taken a very unique approach that is just laser focused on how lawyers work. And so our product continues to really stand out in that space. One thing I think that's brilliant about it is that you're meeting attorneys where they are. They're not having to learn a different platform. They're not having to learn, you know, find another URL and figure out how to log in and do that. I think meeting them in a product they're already using daily is just incredibly smart. But it makes me wonder, do you have any, are there still some people out there using WordPerfect or is everyone just on Microsoft these days? Actually, believe it or not, we do periodically get an angry email from someone that's like, build it in WordPerfect. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, sorry, we're, we're probably not going to do that. So there still seem to be some stragglers out there for sure. But no, I think one of the really interesting things, though, is um, there is so much more freedom, right? If you're building a product in that can just be used in the web, that totally looks totally different, transforms everything visually. And to be honest, actually, that was one of my ideas when I first started. I was like, oh, we're going to build something that's even better than Word. And then pretty quickly, I <laughs> realized, like, there's a reason why Word has achieved dominance. It's just an, such a sophisticated word processor that any other word processor is just not going to be as good for legal purposes, where we have so much complexity in our formatting and all the organization. We're sort of tapping into all of that familiarity that people have that this is the pretty much the one product we've taught ourselves a basic level of competence in right as lawyers is word and also maybe our legal research tool so i think that has really helped our adoption and our success is that even you know the most senior judge they know if that if they're in word oh okay here's the clear brief button i can keep my workflow pretty much the same but use clear brief to enhance it so i'm super proud that we have like i said like 70-year-old judges that use it all the way down to, right, the first-year associates are just adopting it um, very rapidly. 
I would love to hear what your experience has been like doing that transition. I mean, you've pretty much checked all the boxes. You've worked in-house, you've worked big law, you've worked government. Now you're a startup founder of a legal tech company. So what has that transition been like for you in your own personal career path? I will say, like for anyone listening who works at a large law firm, that's where I started my career. And I do feel like it kind of gives you this sense of I can do anything. <laughs> like they have asked me to review 5,000 documents in two days and write an analysis. And somehow I did it. And the grammar was perfect. And every like, it's just almost this exercise, right? When you're fresh out of law school in what is working at my maximum optimal capacity, you can do things that are very, very stressful that maybe <laughs> it's just shocking to you almost that you're able to achieve them. So I do think that starting in that environment has always kind of given me this feeling, whatever job I went to, I want to do it faster. I want to do it better. I want to, I have a lot of um, zest for tackling big problems. And I do think that came from starting my career at big law with that kind of mentality. At the same time, I do, I, I wanted more control and more, you know, ownership over which problems did I want to use my my education to benefit the big banks that we were representing, they're great. But uh, but I was driven to pursue like the nonprofit government route because I wanted to give back. I wanted to change the system. And then in learning, I think I couldn't have built the product that, that we have today without having gone through those work experiences where I had years. <laughs> I practiced for a decade and I was just in the trenches writing, understanding how to work with teams and colleagues and all the buy-in that needs to happen from draft to the thing that gets filed. And so I do think that's why our product right away hit a nerve. But then also just, yeah, just having humility as well to say, you know what? I've learned that I've worked in a lot of these different environments. Every workplace is different. So we can't assume that everyone wants to work the same way. We need to build a product that's flexible. So that's some thoughts there. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's a really important thing. I think that we've probably all gone through. My path is very different from yours, but I, I know there are some things I experienced early on that it gives you like that grit to go, I can do this. I can get this done. And unfortunately, it's just going through the muscle memory. It's the wax on, wax off. You got to go through that, that rote of just churning through it to really build up that ability to then later in your career have a little bit more agility and more creativity and maybe the direction you want to go. To anyone who's new out there in the legal profession, I think if you're frustrated and you want to get there right away, we all did, but you'll eventually get there. So now true. Let's, it's so true. <laughs> let's talk about new attorneys. You mentioned earlier that some of your clients that you're working with, you're maybe getting feedback from are maybe first years. I'm sure you talk to people about how they're using it, using AI, whether it's your, about your tool or just generally, you know, is there a level of excitement? Is there a level of realistic pragmatism? Is there a concern that their livelihood's going to go away very early in the career? What's the vibe check you're picking up on? Yeah. So I would say I do notice a lot of differences from firm to firm in terms of the culture of the firm and that sort of the level of maybe undercurrent of fear that people have. But I would say I am by and large just so excited when, whenever um, I'm seeing these early career lawyers just diving into the technology. I would say the the most common thing I hear from them is like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't wait to like 
just use this on on all my different assignments. I just I'm I'm going to just go and get permission from the partner. So I think that probably one of the biggest insights I've had that law firms can really take away is that using technology on litigate we're focused on litigators, right? So litigation is is a team sport. If you really want to get the most out of the technology, just make sure that there's buy-in throughout that team, that whole team that's working on the case and also, it's really helpful for us to be able to provide the person who's most excited with the tools to explain it to other people. So explain, we, we're SOC 2 Type 2 certified. We meet the strictest security requirements. We are, like I said, used already and adopted across um, major corporations, big law, gone through the roughest InfoSec reviews. But that first year associate may not have the background to be able to explain that to their team. So. I think it's really important to tap into wherever that excitement is coming from, right, on the team about learning new technology. Um, and I think what's really cool is that those, those um, early career associates, just think back to when you know we were starting out, right? You really want to prove yourself. You really mm-hmm. want to show that you can add value. Only problem is you don't really <laughs> know how to do a lot of right. things per se <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> Um, they're not going to be like, Jackie, the, the big briefs do tomorrow. Like do it. No, they're not Knock going it to out. give us that, <laughs> that yeah. prime assignment right away. You're going to be starting out with more like discovery related assignments, maybe like analyses related to the discovery. So one of the big turning points, I think for ClearWave 2 is our integrations. So we integrate with Relativity, NetDocs, iManage, many more for smaller firms like Clio, and we have, we're announcing some more integration soon. So that means you can basically click a button and, and bring in those documents securely into ClearBrief to do all the cool AI stuff that our platform does. And so that's been really helpful for those associates who are like, okay, I need to respond to, I'm trying to be helpful around analyzing an expert report, or I'm trying to um, you know, make edits to the interrogatories. With ClearBrief, they can do AI powered searches for to find like semantically relevant information. So if your interrogatory said the sky is blue, you can select that sentence and ClearBrief will suggest right in Word other places across all of the discovery that relate to the sky is blue or the clouds are azure-ish color. You can <laughs> it will find sort of these semantically similar ideas and serve it up to you so that you can be inspired to add more evidence. That's just one example. Another really helpful thing that that AI is already helping associates achieve is with we ha- we introduced a new feature in the end of the summer called instant hyperlinked timeline. So that first year associate can now click a button and Clearbrief will generate an insert into the Word document all the dates mentioned in those sources, a summary of what happened, and a link to the source. So now that associate can deliver their work product in a way that's super organized. It's all in Word. The partner can review that summary with that link that's showing the evidence. So they're not worrying, oh no, one of my associates like went rogue and used AI and maybe it hallucinated, maybe it's writing the wrong thing. And they're able to review every single statement. So I think it's it's just very powerful for those younger associates, those newer associates to play like such a helpful role of the case, even when they don't have years of experience. (laughs) 
How you mentioned hallucinations, and you know, I think most attorneys should know about that with the great Mata Viavianca case that was made headlines for even my husband, who is not an attorney and is not really fond of emerging tech. He knew about it. So how aware when you're talking to you know people about AI, again, whether it's your product or not, are they aware of this is something I have to use safely, correctly. You know, because part of the problem with Mata Viavianca, the attorney who used it to help write a brief, he thought it was just like Google or Yahoo. So he was not aware of the fact that sometimes the predictions that the output is, is really just, I don't really know. So I'm just going to make this up, you know? Are they aware of that? Totally. Do they are, okay. Okay. That's good to hear. I mean, because well, I think that that's some concern. Yeah. So, oh, absolutely. I think I would say there's a huge variation, though, in terms of like how familiar lawyers are with what AI can do, how to use it. There's still just we're still in early days. I know like we're both so into this scene that we're we tend to like talk to people who understand the nuances. But I would say the majority of lawyers are still just they're barely paying attention, really, because they're just busy with their work. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the things about ClearBrief that is different and that I've really focused on. So from day one, our product has always been about citations. We actually have, the company has four issued AI patents around citations. So citations are really the antidote to hallucinations. That's my tagline that I've, <laughs> I'm trying to make it cool, um, right? Because it is, the citation is, if it's visible as well, is allowing that person to double check and make sure that nothing has been fabricated or misstated. So the, also the way we've designed our product, it's not just like an open-ended chat bot where you could ask it to do anything and what it serves up is very unpredictable. The whole way our product is designed is it's like, these are those discrete tasks <laughs> that you want, create a timeline. It When it's summarizing that date in the timeline, it's not just like, going out to the internet or whatever. No, it's only summarizing from this specific document, from the specific portion of text. And we've built it so that it's very, very um, accurate. And so it can't really go out and make something up. So it's really about the product design. And I think there's other AI products, even for legal, that are much more open-ended, where it's like, what do you want to do today? And we've actually chosen to not take that path at this time because I think that makes a lot of law firms nervous because of the Avianca case, because it is true that it's harder to, if you're not already dialed in on the the purpose of using the AI and the workflow, giving it too much open-ended access is going to probably result in more hallucinations. So that's just one example. Just another quick example is one of the other things our tool does, it will create an instant table of authorities. And the other thing that's unique about the way we do it is you can see every and double check that table of authorities side by side. So that's not really a task where people are like worried, <laughs> deathly worried that the AI is going to you know humiliate them. It's just that's a use of AI that is low stakes. And so we kind of have something for everyone in our product where, OK, you're not ready for that for the timeline, even though, I, you know, it will save you a lot of time and give you some great insights. Fine. Just use the table of authority. Save yourself several hours on the day of filing. Use our instant exhibits compiler. Use the AI for things that you're not um, terrified about that hallucination element. Or even use it to QC. You know, we use, there are a lot of times we've been using AI, of course, in document review for a long time. And sometimes we use the AI 
outputs that, that aren't, they're not generative AI, but ranking information to run that against the human review. And, and so that might even be a benefit of, of it. Let's, we totally get, you want to have your first years do the timeline because there is an element of, if we have AI do so much of this stuff that is first wrote, are we taking away those opportunities to build up that muscle memory that we were talking about that we both experienced early in our career? And how do you balance, you know, how do you address those? And I think that also goes with to, towards being intentional in, in training new attorneys and things like that. But, you know, there are a That's lot a of ways point. that people could play around with it and still understandably, you know, use it in a way that they feel comfortable with. There, There's a lot of potential risk there, you know, for attorneys. But I want to talk to you a little bit about here right now, your founder of a company, you're the face of the company. In essence, you, I saw your wonderful ad for your product that was maybe a little bit of a parody of another launch video that was seen. And I loved it. And I was wondering beyond your own product, what AI tools are you using in business development, which is, I think, a reasonable use case for potential attorneys to consider. So how are you using AI? Yeah, that's that's funny. Um, so that's a really good question. So one of the things that I do is I kind of play around with different tools because A, it makes me feel better. I'm like, ClearBrief is amazing <laughs> compared to like just using plain old chat GPT or something. Like it's just, it does make you realize that there it's really hard to get to a good outcome with just the sort of chat interface situation. However, one of the things that I, I like to use it for is like generating images with Dolly that can, I've recently just used it to create, I, I wanted to add a new icon and I didn't really like any of the typical react icons that I was seeing. So I had to do a few iterations and it was still like, there's still some crazy limitations with the results that you get where you say, okay, remove those random water droplets. And it will just like add 20 more water droplets. You're like, uh. <laughs> like, okay, I need no. to finish editing it in yeah. my own like human way. But the initial idea for the, the icon is good. So I think that's just like a real example of, of how I'm playing around with it. But what's cool now is we're seeing it built into other places like Canva. Canva is one of my most used tools. I do love Canva. Um, social media stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's, if you're using Canva, Gmail, right? They, they have the new suggest features. I might not be like the perfect audience though for that because I'm obsessed with legal writing and just writing in general. I have a very high standards for my own voice and how it comes across. So I'm not doing like a bunch of random prose where I don't care if it really reflects my voice. Like I, I'm just the whole value that I bring is like <laughs> my unique voice. So until AI can really, um, you know, achieve that for me, I don't use it as much in my, even in my emails that I send and that sort of thing. I think whenever you spend so much of your career writing that you can just write so much faster yourself, especially like communication or a LinkedIn post. You're already thinking in your head what you want to write. That it in this for me, I all my posts I write myself. I, I don't use AI to help me write anything because it it's really a way for me to share my inner dialogue. So I don't need AI to help Jeez. with that. Now I I may use it to help 
if I wanted to, and this is something I'm playing around with, take the transcript from podcast episodes and maybe write a blog article about it or something like that. There is a very much a genericness that comes from some of that content and especially the written content. And you can usually tell something has that vibe, that, that, hints of GPT. I'm the same. I use it in discrete ways or I'm like, I want to play with this. And I may still like my way of doing it better, but I played with apps that will build presentations for you. And I'll do it just to see what info it flags, like what the staging, what how it organizes it. And it's pretty much what I would have done anyway. But I still end up doing it myself because I like the creative process of playing in Canva and stuff like that. So um yeah, exactly. I think we're we're like tinkerers. And the, the distinction that I want to draw out here is what I was describing, for example, with clear briefs, like the instant hyperlink timeline. That's a perfect example where you don't want a lot of like quirky, like originality in the, <laughs> the description. You want it to say the car was purchased on January 1st. You know, you just if there is a document that shows the car was purchased on that date, that's what you want the timeline to reflect. You don't want it to have a lot of flourish and unique perspective. That's what we can come back and add later when we're writing and wordsmithing it. But when I'm, that still is extremely helpful though, to get, Mm -hmm. here's the date, here's that very plain summary, and here's the source. So I can now go back, look at it and tweak it to add, maybe I'm going to say, compared to what plaintiff claims, like you can see that the car was purchased on, maybe I'm going to add my flair to it later. But yeah, that's where I I think we need to think about what is AI good at? (laughs) It's, I think it is good at just like these more bland summaries and there is a use for that in legal and it's not, so it doesn't really threaten my skill as a lawyer, which is making the facts come alive. But no, I, th- I think this is something I've been like just noodling about too. Cool that you yeah. also. <laughs> yeah. And I even think, you know, there are different reasons why you may or may not have AI help. Even a great potential use case for it is summarizing a case, right? But case law, an order or something like that. But there is such the thing that AI is good at is it's predicting the next word. It's recreating something that's already been done. And there are times you have a creative approach to a legal argument you may be making. So you may be looking at case law and you may be pulling nuggets from things that you're able to persuasively write in a way that maybe a, a trained GPT may not think to do because it's based off of things done in the past. So if you're trying to take a novel approach to an analysis or you're trying to be creative in that, GPT is not going to be able to do that, at least I don't think anytime soon. So I think that just being able to say binary, yes, it should always be used here and never used there or vice versa. I think that there's always not only is writing creative, but like our approach to things as attorneys, we're going to go at it this way, right? And you can't let- The details that are in the the summary, like, you you know, for example, like a summary is not going to be that helpful to me if I'm going to get my best insights as a lawyer from looking at the exact wording that the court said. So Mm -hmm. it's, I think what you're, yeah, you're speaking to, it reminds me a lot of also being a musician where you're- your influences are going to include all different things. So I hear a melody and I'm like, oh my gosh, that kind of reminds me of this random musical Mm -hmm. theater song. The melody I heard was in a jazz tune, but I'm going to bring this musical theater idea into it. So we're trained (laughs) on lots of different things. And so if we're, if we're able to look and get inspired ourselves, um, then we can 
you know, that's that's a way we can spark our own thinking around, you know, a legal issue or right. creative. It's that creative leap from this to that, that there's just like that context that GPT is not going to get unless it builds in some sort of chaos weight or something like that, you know? So um, <laughs> anytime I've, I've built a custom GPT and it, it creates an icon for it, it's always very stereotypical. So it's not going to be that thing that, that captures our attention because you're just wowed by, wow, I didn't expect it. And we see that in legal arguments. A lot of times attorneys are very well respected. If you, if they say we, I approached it in this way and got this wins, hope it's not lost. GPT is not coming for our jobs. There, there, there's just something in hum, very human that I don't think AI is anywhere near capturing, but that's just my personal opinion. I completely so. agree. Yeah, it's, it's weird. We're at this moment where we need to hold both ideas in our minds as lawyers that, yes, it can help me. And so I should be <clears throat> curious about it and learning about it. But then also, ugh, it is going to change things. That's scary. <laughs> Every lawyer I talk to is is grappling with both ideas because it is change is scary no matter who, like how excited you are about AI. Um, you know, I got a note from one of our users, like right after they tried one of our new features, it's called verified facts section, where you took that timeline and you edited it and added your flair. Now you can click a button and it will just weave it into a facts section with citations after every sentence. Super exciting. Got yeah a message from a user who was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, I'm like kind of blown away. And I'm also just wondering, like, how is this going to change my whole practice? And just like existential crisis <laughs> that and <laughs> like our team was like, I think that's a wow, our tool caused an existential crisis. <laughs> like, Love it. We, we achieved something. But I do think it. you have to acknowledge that, that it's, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to bill for writing briefs. It doesn't mean you're not going to be able to run a business. It just means you're going to have to adapt. And the way I would just think about it is like, it's better to be, like to realize this sooner rather than later and not be sort of the last one where all your competitor firms are just outbidding you on, and getting th these clients because they've figured out how to use technology and still still make money on their cases and still have a wonderful practice. So I think the more we can do, though, to talk about that anxiety and, and not ignore it and just be like, Duh, use AI. Like, no, there's concerns. <laughs> there's reasons why right. not, the legal profession is not just going to adopt it without thinking it through carefully. Right. There's legitimate concerns. So any firm that's out there maybe going a little bit more cautiously, that's completely reasonable, I think. So I think just being aware that those opportunities are out there and seeing through the fog of the extremes of it's horrible, it's wonderful. It's not going to be as easy as it's, it's many, many, in many ways, it's not going to be as easy as you think that it can save you time. You're still going to have to validate and all that other stuff. So um, it's uh, and I also think the technology is going to get more and more integrated into existing systems, into our daily lives. It, it's, I've said this before, it's it's like the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things, maybe seven years ago, everyone was talking about it. Every if I went to an e-discovery conference, there that was the topic du jour, right? Now people don't talk about it that much, but it's everywhere. I mean, our beds have metadata, mm -hmm. our microwaves have metadata, our cars have metadata, and that's all Internet of Things, baby. So I, I think AI is gonna be the same way. It's going to get 
more normal. It's going to get more integrated, which, you know, there are some concerns there that if it's super integrated, we have to still be aware of potential for hallucinations and things like that. So um, 2024 is going to be an interesting year, don't you think, Jackie? I mean, I don't know if you're big on predictions or anything, but what do you think is going to are going to be some big themes for the next year? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my biggest excitement for 2024 is that we're really seeing adoption. So this was my dream when I started the company that we would build a tool. So that was one dream. <laughs> we built it and now they're using it. And I think that is what's, I'm so proud of that. Like there's just constantly new, anybody today can just sort of like build something that just is a, a thin layer on top of GPT-3 or GPT-4. What we've done, though, is spend years on product development, on listening to customers, on building something that's really tied to real workflows, and we have real customers using it. So this is exciting, honestly, as a moment for me where it's just totally different even from last year around this time where doing for a big, massive firm to um, have an AI tool for legal writing was still kind of like a fringe thing maybe for the firm, but like, oh, we'll have this group try it or whatever. Now we're seeing firms are like, okay, we need everyone to learn AI. We need this across the firm from the paralegals all the way to the partners. So I think that is just a sea change in the emotional (laughs) um, availability of our customers in terms of like learning something new. So that's why we're just so focused on adoption. How do we help them build ClearBrief into their workflows to remember to use it, right? Because like a lot of times if you're in a tough situation as a litigator where you're like, oh my God, I have something due tomorrow. You, If you haven't tried an AI tool yet, you may not want to try it, even though it, that's the situation when it could help you the most. It could save you. And I have been in so many situations like that where uh, I can just think of one where I was up against a deadline. I was doing a pro bono case and nobody knew how to do the table of authorities, <laughs> including me. And it actually just added so much stress. I was doing it on a weekend. I missed hanging out with my family. I missed, and and I like cried at one point. You know, it was just so stressful. But if you knew that, oh, wait, there's a tool that I can just press a button. It will just do my table of authorities instantly. If you're willing to give that a try in your moment <laughs> of stress, that's when you'll truly get the benefit. So how do we get attorneys to have that awareness that there are tools they can use so they don't, when they're in that crisis, how do we get them to a basic level of familiarity so that when that big case comes or that big issue arises, they already know how to, what to do. Right. Because whenever you hit that stressful deadline, you go to a workflow you're familiar with because it is a bit of a security blanket and you need that level of security in that moment of stress. And even if it could be more time consuming process, you're like, this will let my brain calm down a little bit if I do it that way. So I think that's a great point. Learn the technologies, whether it's an AI technology or or whatever else, learn it when you're not in a stressful situation. Like that's the ideal way to try it out. And then by the time you are in a clutch moment, you can go, oh, I know how to do this. It'll knock it out. So I will say though, like we also have built our customer success team so that if someone is in a crisis, like we'll get on the phone and just do it with you and help you. Nice. Because that's been also really something that they, that they know if they take the leap to to use this tool, like they can get support from a real person. Emailing doesn't just go off into the void. Like we will be there for you. And that's, I think, 
one of the things that I didn't appreciate about how as a startup, we're able to do that, I think better than than much bigger companies, because they just they don't necessarily respond. And it's a way that lawyers really feel like they're connected to the company and become champions of it after they've had that kind of experience in the trenches. <laughs> People want to be able to dial a friend. It's a real, and, and I think that attorneys don't like being out of their comfort zones. They're used, especially the further we get in our profession, we feel very comfortable. This is what I can do really well. This is where I feel comfortable. And, and we don't tend to do well outside of comfort zones. If anything can be done to help mitigate that, it's always Always a big plus. Well, Jackie, we are here at the end. I would love to hear just any closing comments, closing thoughts you have about about anything we've talked about today. I would say for anyone listening who is feeling a little bit excluded from the AI dialogue and conversation that they see online, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, just know that you're not alone. So many of us, even, you know, I'm an AI thought leader and Oftentimes, I feel like the discussion is just overly jargon filled that, you know, online and is almost designed to show off how how knowledgeable of the technical elements these um, commenters are. But it ends up having the opposite effect where we want to get lawyers and paralegals and judges and clerks excited and clients actually do. (laughs) Um, We want to get them excited about the potential of AI in the law. And so just know that if you feel excluded from that dialogue, just ignore that, honestly, and focus on what is your task in your day that you wish was less tedious. That is where I would start just brainstorming and thinking, I wonder if there's a a tool, it doesn't have to be AI, I wonder if there's a tool that can, a technology tool that could help me with that task. And that is the start for how you become a tech person or how you become an AI person is that you identify a problem. And then you start doing a little bit of research about what solutions are out there. Just ignore those highfalutin conversations that make you feel like this is not for me and I should just wait and stay out of this. And I think a lot of us feel that way in the legal profession. Yeah. And I think that it can be very easy to get overwhelmed by the new cycle related to emerging technologies because there's something happening all the time. And no one should feel like they have to know everything or stay on top of all of it. it it's just completely overwhelming at times. And I, there, there are definitely days where I'm like, wow, I'm an idiot. I don't know any of this stuff. So I think that... I love your summaries that you put together. That They're so helpful for that exact reason where you're breaking it down in a way that's understandable to the well, average lawyer, because that is, that's like such a huge service. So thank you for doing it. I'm sure. Oh, no problem. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, it does take some time, but it's, again, it's that creative process and I do it all by hand for, you know, I'm not using AI to help me, but for me, it's that creative. That's the stuff I want to have more time to. I want the AI to do tedious things that, you know, I wanted to take care of all my doctor's appointments and stuff, stuff like that. That's not fun stuff. I want to play around with creating things in my free time, but I think that's an excellent point. And of course, if you're considering something at work, make sure you're staying within compliance of your, your corporate or firm policies. And if where you're working doesn't let you, if they have really strict policies, you can, I mean, I do a lot of it playing around things with myself for my own creative pursuits just to get familiar with the technology. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. Just don't be afraid. 
to test it out low risk and just get familiar with it. Jackie, thank you so much for joining today's episode of Cassie and uh, I really appreciated it. Appreciate it. We'll have to have you join in maybe a year or so and just see what all you've accomplished between now and then, which I'm sure will be a lot. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Of course. And again, thank you for joining. And I know I've learned a thing or two from you today, Jackie, and I'm sure my audience has as well. And I hope you all join us next time for the next episode of Cassie and...